Hello, beautiful people. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> If you are celebrating, I hope that today is an amazing day filled with joy and you know quality time with your loved one and if you're single that's okay you can still enjoy your day i hope that you enjoy desserts and whatever your friends give you i know galentine's day is very big too so you know love manifests in different forms obviously through our couples but also through our family members and through our friends so you know i just think that valentine's day is a day to celebrate love whether you're in a relationship or not today i have an amazing returning guest joining us to commemorate this special date we are going to be talking about romantic relationships though <laughs> but the idea behind this episode is that during the winter break i spoke with a lot of friends who are dating or are in relationships with people from different countries and different cultures and you know that really inspired me and you know i've read irena's book about immigration not from here nor from there and over there she addresses multicultural relationships and i think that living in canada we are exposed as well to so many intercultural relationships and i feel like yeah there's not a lot of information out there i mean i knew about it in his book so that's why i decided to ask her to come back to the podcast <laughs> to talk to us about intercultural relationships. So yeah, Irene Del Valle is a multicultural counselor, integrative therapist and relationships and couples specialist. And on this episode, she and I chatted about the benefits, challenges and opportunities that bloom in intercultural romantic relationships in our 20s or at any age. Some of the topics that we discussed in this episode are how we can communicate better with our partner, conflict resolution between different cultures, cultural sensitivity, and facing family expectations, and much, much more. So if you are in an intercultural relationship, I hope that this episode is beneficial for you and for your honey. And feel free to share it with your loved ones who may also be in intercultural relationships. Project 25 was born out of the obsession that we have with figuring things out. Being a 25-year-old or a 20-something is a lot. It's fun and exciting, but also confusing and weird. It's an age where we realize that maybe the goals we had for ourselves weren't really ours to begin with, an age of tons of learning and unlearning, and an age of frequently asking ourselves, what am I doing with my life? And that leaves us with a lot of uncertainty. I'm Andrea Juarez, and I created this project when I hit my quarter-life crisis. <laughs> Looking for answers, I decided to ask my family members, friends, and people I admire about their experiences being 25, what has changed, what they've learned, and their advice for the new generation of 20-somethings. Hello, Irene. Welcome back to Project 25. It is a pleasure to have you here one more time. I'm very excited about this special episode to celebrate Valentine's Day. And as we mentioned on a previous episode, both of us are immigrants. And this podcast is also heard by many immigrants. In fact, I have friends and family members in Mexico and Canada 
who have been in romantic relationships with or married their significant others who are from another country. They're intercultural couples. For example, one of my Mexican friends is married to a German guy. Another Mexican friend is married to an American. And as you know, I'm Mexican and my boyfriend is half Mexican, half Colombian. So I think it's beautiful that people from different places of the world get to coincide and connect in this giant, but also small world <laughs> in a romantic way. So, I mean, they found the love of their lives in a place they never imagined. And this is me romanticizing at 100%. But that's why I wanted to focus on intercultural couples, international love, like the Pitbull song, and everything that it entails. <laughs> Thank you, Andrea, for inviting me again to your podcast. It's a pleasure. And most because we're going to speak about a topic that I'm very passionate about, that is love, relationships, and immigration. And when these two topics mix with each other, right, with multicultural couples. So thank you very much. This is a topic that I also have experienced myself. I was uh, nine years with a Spanish person. So yeah, I have experienced that not only as a therapist, but also personally. And yes, as you said it's something that we tend to romantize a lot so yeah we're going to speak a little bit uh, later about that for sure thank you very much Irene and to get started I want to ask you how do we define a bicultural or multicultural couple and what's its main characteristic okay so intercultural couples are those in which the individuals or the persons that are part of the relationship come from different cultures or countries I um, usually classify them in, in three groups monocultural couples uh, connationals or compatriots that's that's the way that you can describe them this first type uh, they're from the same nationality and culture and they can migrate together to another country or sometimes they're from the same country and get to know each other abroad after migrating and they're intercultural couples because they navigate between the original culture and the culture of the country to which they migrated. Also we have the bicultural couples where each person comes from a different country and they live in the country of one of the two so they have the culture of the person who migrated and the other of the local or native partner and also we have the multicultural couples where each part of the couple each person comes from different cultures and they live in a third country so both bring their own cultures into the equation and they navigate in a third or neutral culture this scenario sometimes involves more than three cultures when they come from multicultural families and this means for example that they came from migrant parents so this is we can have four five six cultures in the equation and I think it's very important to talk about intercultural couples because they're becoming more common due to the fact that it's easier to travel, to study abroad, to work abroad, and also because all the technology and the apps to get to know people from very different parts of the world. Thank you very much, Irene. Yeah, like we were talking in the Spanish version about the Tinder passport during COVID. So like I had friends in Mexico who were like, you know, like looking for love in like Canada or Europe or the Caribbean. Which is, yeah, like you said, right? Technology, like it opens many doors. And yeah, thank you very much for educating us in these different types of couples. Yeah, like globalization is at an all-time high. And as I was commenting at the start of the episode, a lot of my friends, including myself, fit into the bicultural or multicultural classification. And even though it's lovely to learn about new cultures and traditions, there can also be a lot of differences 
of perspectives, communication, ideas, and vulnerability in these kinds of relationships given the distinct backgrounds. So I wanted to ask you, how can we navigate cultural differences in these relationships? Okay, so well, the main thing I think it's making peace with our differences and stop seeing uh, the differences as a problem and start seeing them as an opportunity for personal growth and existential expansion. If we look at the difference between us, not as something that separates us, but as what allowed us to grow and expand individually and as a couple, and we shift from seeing it as a challenge to seeing it as an opportunity to complement each other, not to complete each other, that will make us relate differently with the differences. And differences will stop being a problem and will start to be an opportunity. And for that, we have to understand rationally and above all accept emotionally that what it is normal for you doesn't need to be normal for me and that's okay and that we are okay and not nothing bad is going to happen if we are different this helps us to understand that both realities are valid and have their strengths and shortcomings and stop feeling yeah in danger right because of that so yeah that's important I think also that developing curiosity and stop talking in a way that I try to convince you from my reality, my point of view, and start talking more to understand you, to have this curious perspective, vision, and get to know who you truly are instead of trying to make you fit on what I want. That I think it's very, very important to remember. Another thing that is very, very helpful is developing compassion and empathy. When we remember that all of us, we are imperfect human beings seeking love and feeling free of pain, we can start seeing each other not as, for example, my boyfriend, my partner, my husband. And I can start seeing you as a human being that is seeking the same things as me in life, connection, acceptance, emotional security. And this helps a lot to break the barriers of uh, you're German, you're Chinese, you're Japanese, you're Mexican. No, you're human being. So when I remember that and I see you not as my boyfriend, my husband, something of that I can possess, he helps me to understand you as a human being. And that's beautiful. Yes. Of course, when we talk about differences, we need to talk about respect, right? Because you cannot be with someone if you don't respect them. So it is very, very, very important to being able to be myself with you and that you can be yourself with me, despite our differences, that you feel safe enough to be yourself. That's very important. And it's a way to take care of our love. I think that there's no love without respect. I think also that we need to remember that it is not our role to change the other person, especially when someone is from another culture or country. I don't have to change you. I have to learn from you. That's that's the thing. You are you. Your culture is as valid as mine. And I don't need to ch change who you are. I need to learn from you. You are a teacher in my life. That's the way that we can switch also. When we are in front of a difference, instead of like getting in panic and saying like, oh my God, we are, we do not connect on this. No, but you can learn from this. That's very important. And also, Andrea, I think that openness and flexibility to what is different and to other realities, being flexible. I think that as long it doesn't touch my non-negotiables in life, and non-negotiables, I mean these things that if I compromise 
would go against who I am, my values, my essence, my well-being and my purpose of life. If your difference don't touch or puts in danger my non-negotiables, let's keep open. Let's be flexible. That's very important. Yeah, as long as it's not like a non-negotiable, then you can live with that, right? Yeah, I yes. loved everything that you said, Irene, especially saying that these relationships should complement us, not complete us, which is also a thought from the romantic love, but also the fact that all realities are valid and how at the end of the day, no matter our nationality, language, or like differences, we're all human beings who look for the same thing. Yeah, I was like, That is so beautiful. <laughs> And talking about beautiful things, I'd like you to tell us what are the advantages and benefits of bicultural or multicultural relationships? Well, in general, being with someone from another culture broadens our minds and our perspective in life. It takes us out of the comfort zone, out of the familiar, and shows us alternative ways for everything, for being a couple, living, speaking, expressing affection, routines, everything, right? I think that being with someone is a great gift if we see the possibility of learning other ways of doing things or responding to the events in our lives. Another benefit is being able to learn a language, <laughs> having a 24-7 teacher, <laughs> um, also getting to know the country of that person, not as a tourist, but as a local. Because that's that's an opportunity that we have when we're with someone from another country. Also, another advantage is that by knowing we are from different countries, I think that intercultural couples often tend to clarify a lot. More than couples from the same culture that, that don't migrate. For example, I, I can see that they ask between each other like, This is how it works in my country, how it works in yours, or this is how I learn it in my culture, how it's in yours. So that helps a lot, right? This is great because I'm not imposing and I'm asking from my curiosity and to check and to know that you understand or, or, or that we are in like getting the same idea. And when I don't assume that you want to respect the same or that you will do what is familiar to me or or that our realities are the same, it's an ability to confirm and to get to know each other better. Something that many couples from the same culture don't do that much because they tend to assume that they are the same and they want the same. So in general, being with someone from another culture adds this richness and also this reminder of we are not the same. So let's check if we are getting the same message. Yeah, I love that. And I love that. Yeah, like that you don't assume and you clarify things like, you know, the there's a phrase that's assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Like that's something that is said in the English language, which I've learned the hard way. <laughs> But yeah, like that reminded me of a personal story. I was telling you where my boyfriend and I started going on dates frequently. But like we were exclusive but he had never asked like do you want to be my girlfriend like it is done in mexico so i told him like you have to like yeah he already saw me as, as his girlfriend and i was like well yes like we are exclusive but i didn't know that i was with your girlfriend am i your girlfriend like you have to ask me in order to make the relationship a hundred percent official <laughs> same story same story because i was in a reunion <laughs> with friends 
and he presented me as the girlfriend and I was like you didn't ask sorry but no sorry but no we need to talk about this later <laughs> and yeah he at the end did it the Mexican way <laughs> because I explained it was important for me right and here in in Europe they do that very often like one day they just assume they are boyfriend and girlfriend what I really don't get is how do they match these assumptions you know <laughs> But well, yeah, it happens to a lot of people. I, I know similar stories as yours and mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially, you know, like the, like with the cardboard sign, like, do you want to be there? <laughs> like that meme. But yes, all the girlies who are listening to that, you're not alone. <laughs> so, Irene, we've chatted about the benefits of the intercultural couples. And now I'd like to ask, what are the challenges and difficulties which can later be turned as opportunities, like you mentioned, that these couples face on a regular basis? Love how you change the the difficulty to the opportunity. Love it. <laughs> yes. Well, the first one could be a very common is miscommunication. Communication problems. And and why? Because Communication allows us to connect with our partner, with everyone in our life. And intercultural couples not only face the complexity of opening up emotionally and being vulnerable, like all other couples need to do, but also doing so in another language or in the face of cultural differences. The deepest emotions, love, sadness, fear, anger, often come out in a more natural way in our or mother tongue. And At times, intercultural couples may feel unable to fully express what they are experiencing, what they are feeling, their emotions, and this could make them feel also that their partner doesn't understand them very well, right? So this is something that could happen. Another challenge that they will face, and another opportunity, <laughs> will be that each culture understands intimacy differently. And love and closeness are expressed in various ways, and it's very different from a culture to another one. So many intercultural couples initially struggle to understand each other's attempts of connection. Additionally, they may face also external challenges from the cultures they belong to. For example, it's not only that the attempt of my partner, it's something that I miss because I didn't knew that it was an attempt because in my culture it's not an attempt. But also if we live in a permissive or restrictive culture, if we are in a country that allows or not more, let's say, physical interaction on public, what it's considered right or wrong in giving and receiving love in the place we live in. For example, it came to my mind, an homosexual couple that I work with that was living in Kuala Lumpur and they they say that they were very frustrated because before living a culture that was very open and that they then when they migrated they needed to be very cautious to avoid being seen like touching hands or kissing at the streets because it's forbidden there and experiencing that lack of freedom it was very very frustrating it was like a challenge for them as expats so yeah that's that's one of the things that could happen Another challenge is the initial dependency. These couples, intercultural couples, at least from what I have observed, may be more prone to develop emotionally, migratory, legal, and economic dependency at the beginning of the relationship. Most of all, when one migrates for love or stays for love. Because what happens? The partner becomes their anchor 
in that in that country without a job or in the process of searching for one start zero they may become at the beginning economically dependent right or also their immigration status can also be tied to living together with that person or getting married right and this could feel as i need you I need you to be here. I need you to satisfy my basic needs. I need you to pay rent. And this could make them feel unprotected, lacking autonomy, and very vulnerable. The goal in these couples is that they transcend this initial dependency and that step by step and day by day, the expat member of the relationship recovered their autonomy and then we can balance again how we share power and responsibility inside the relationship. At the beginning, is common. Another thing that happens also, another dynamic that I've noticed in the people that I, I have seen in therapy is a sense of imbalance and inequity. A feeling of, I sacrifice myself for you. I sacrifice my life. I was the one that came for you here or stayed for love. And I left everything behind. My family, my my material things, my friends, everything, right? And this creates an unpayable debt because, yeah, like your partner cannot truly fulfill everything in your life. It's not the, uh, his or her responsibility, right? So at the beginning, uh, this sensation of, of sacrifice puts a lot of weight on the relationship. In most intercultural couples also, at least one of them, I, I say at least because sometimes both, both of them migrate to a third country, as we say at the beginning, but... But they experience psychological process related migration. We talk about it in, in the first podcast that we made about all the emotions that we experience, the grief, the self-reconstruction process, etc. And imagine, Andrea, needing to reconstruct yourself in another country, the challenge that it's that in our life, and also at the same time, building a relationship. So it's two very important and complex process at the same time, right? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, super hard. <laughs> you are constructing a relationship that requires a lot of work, a lot of vulnerability, that it triggers you for sure many things, and also reconstructing yourself. So two very complex process. And we need to remember that if we are not in a good place, emotionally speaking, of course, it's going to be very difficult to be with someone else. So at the beginning is reminding that we will need a period to reconstruct yourself or reconstruct ourselves and this can put a little bit of stress in the relationship okay because we have the discomfort that is generated by our migratory process or your migratory process and being able to separate that frustration those emotions from the relationship and the partner that's very important to say okay this is the migration this is the adaptation process this is the grief this is all of this and this is us when we separate that the couples see that one part of it it's a process that it requires time and that it's temporary and that it's going to little by little evolve and the other part yeah it's them right as a relationship also intercultural couples struggle when they tend to impose their cultures and realities and it's something that when they instead of integrating and accepting the partner's ways realities they try to impose of course that's an endless battle 
and it's very tired and very, yeah, it, it drains energy, right? In intercultural relationships, it's crucial to honor who your partner is and the culture they came from. And it's very, very important to allow both partners to be themselves and to preserve their, their cultures. I don't have to change you. I have to learn about you. And instead of like getting into this battle of my culture versus your culture, it's my culture plus your culture. It's an addition. And well, another thing that comes to my mind, Andra, I don't know if I'm talking too much, but it comes a lot of things to my mind. No, don't worry. We're here to hear you. <laughs> is that many of these relationships start as a long distance relationship or many multicultural relationships keep periods apart during the relationship because they go to visit their families, they separate for a month, two months on holidays. We keep having sometimes these periods apart. And this fact is at the beginning, they meet in these limited circumstances, on vacations, on short stays, in neutral locations. And this makes that couples idealize these encounters, right? They believe that the dynamic that they construct in these two weeks, three weeks on another country, on in our holidays on Tulum, on Thailand, it's going to be the, the, the real dynamic. And that the person is that person always, like she's always or he's always happy. They are not stressed. But when they're together in their in real life, 24-7, of course, several things happen. It, it like the dynamic changes because... The transitions tends to be more drastic and abrupt. For example, intercultural couples, they pass from going and seeing each other for a few days or months to living together sometimes. And this could be like very stressful transition. Some of them even take the step of marrying for paperwork and visa. And this adds more pressure, right? It's not like more soft as, for example, couples that live in the same place or not from the same place that they take step by step. They don't have this hurry. They don't take, maybe they have this pressure of like marrying for the visa, right? So this puts pressure on the relationship. And also they know each other in ideal situations. And when they get into the same country and into the same place, of course, they get to know these other faces of their partners, right? When they're stressed, when they are tired, in a daily routine, without a work, paying bills. Of course, we get to know another side, right? Yeah, it's no longer the honeymoon phase. <laughs> exactly. So this view that we had, as you said, that this ideal, right, romantized view of our partner, it works. And we get to know this real you <laughs> and this real me, right? And we get to construct a real dynamic. So this could be a challenge too. Also, uh, the last thing that comes to my mind is that when we migrate in the name of love, we often forget to make agreements and set conditions. I think that intercultural couples focus more on overcoming the distance. They they forget to talk about what this change is going to symbolize and what it's going to require. And they focus on just like being together. And I think that romantic migration assumes that everything will flow smoothly once we finally live in the same place and in the same country. And when migration happens this way, people often feel betrayed and feel like, okay, like this is this is not what I asked for, right? So conscious migration for intercultural couples is remembering that this is another step that allowed us to know each other in a more realistically way, but that we are going to get to know our differences. Also, I think that migrating for love requires remembering to 
to have our own individual project, not only migrating for for you, for being together. It's important to set another things that we want to do or experience in that country. So not all the pressure it's on the relationship on, and on our partner. It's very important to avoid making the decision only for the person because that's when a lot of pressure is put on, on the name of love. <laughs> and we need to remember that all of us, it's not only all these things that I mentioned, but we, everyone in life, we carry our emotional baggages. So we need to add our early wounds, relational patterns, learned behaviors, attachment styles, etc. So imagine. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a lot. But thank you very much, Irene. I didn't want to scare anybody. Sorry, I know that it was (laughs) much challenges. (laughs) Just know it's coming. (laughs) That way you're more prepared. But thank you very much, Irene. I have several loved ones who moved abroad because their significant other lived there. But when conflict or fights happen, they think, well, I can just pack my luggage and leave and not deal with this. You know, when like it's with the conflict, it's very hard and like people are like very emotional and not thinking straight. But that's why I'm very grateful that we can talk about this because it's important to be aware of these challenges mainly for all of those who have felt or feel this way and validate them and let them know that they're not alone. They're not crazy. These challenges are common and normal in intercultural relationships. And knowing this, we can know how to deal and work through these challenges and move forward and strengthen the relationship, right? And I also, this is me being curious, but as a communicator, because we were talking about conflict, I'd like to chat a little bit about a communication theory that is called phase negotiation theory by the scholar Selatin Toomey. My professors will be very proud. <laughs> so <laughs> Stella talks about how cultural differences influence conflict management between people whom she characterizes as being from an individualistic culture such as the United States, Switzerland, Germany, Scandinavian countries, compared to people who come from collectivistic culture, such as countries in Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America. So her theory says that during a conflict to keep their reputation or status to save face, people from a collectivistic culture usually avoid conflicts or try to approach the situation where both people in the conflict can win and try like to suit things like for me I come from collectivistic culture so like I like harmony I don't like conflict so it's like I want to do damage control as much as possible (laughs) but people from individualistic cultures actually they face the conflict right away and kind of like dominate it and they go straight to the point and you know like this is obviously a theory we can generalize as everyone is different but I feel that in intercultural couples whether it's inside or outside a conflict one can get lost in translation or take things personally and feel attacked when that's not the case so I wanted to ask what are some effective communication strategies for couples from different cultural backgrounds well this is very important Andrea I I didn't know this theory I'm going to go and see more about it it sounds very interesting but I think that we might not always know or find the perfect words but one thing that could help and one strategy is that if we pay attention and take care to the to the form right 
right? Of the message, the timing. Sometimes we, like they say, don't fight in the car. That's the worst place <laughs> to, to have a fight or discussion or to talk about an important topic. No. And also, if we take care of the intention, right? And we specify the intention that we have from saying something that transcends language differences. Again, take care of the form, timing and intention. When I say, I, this is one thing that I work a lot with my patients is I, when we need to talk about something difficult to set a boundary, to talk about something that maybe that could create a, a fight or a conflict, start with intention. When you said, I give you an example, I want to tell you something because I think if that we talk about this, we can minimize our discussions or we can understand each other better. When I start with that intention that is positive, I can send something else and it's going to be better received than if I don't say the intention. If I only say, I didn't like the way that you did. If I start with the negative part, the other person closes. If I start with the intention that is connecting better, relating better, having a healthier relationship, and improving our communication, the other person opens because I understand that your intention is positive, right? So this is clue. This is one of the of the I things love that, that yes. It's also a good strategy to confirm that the message has been received effectively. What did you understand? Because it helps ensure that what I intended to express, and, and it this happens when I'm talking in another language, but also in my own language, it helps to to know and to be sure that what my partner understood, it was what I indeed intended to, to say, that it didn't get lost in, in, in translation. So clarified that your partner received effectively the message. Can you paraphrase what I say? How did you get this information? Just to know that we're talking about the same thing. That's very important. Also, when seeking to build agreements, it's important that both parties win. It's a, it needs to be a win-win when where each one defines their non-negotiables. I also said that the non-negotiables are these things that I I could not like sacrifice because they're like my essential values, part of who I am. It would mean like sacrificing my well-being or my purpose of life. So yes, like to define my non-negotiables, but my flexible area needs to be bigger. <laughs> Right. And not everything could be like a non-negotiable. So it's when when building an agreement saying, OK, these are my non-negotiables and explaining why these are my non-negotiables, like what it's behind, what emotional need normally. And then when we know which is your non-negotiable and my non-negotiable and which are your flexible areas, we can agree and play with a, a fair agreement. Right. That both of us win. And also never assuming what my, my partner thinks. What do you feel with this? What do you think? What do you want or need to feel safe? What is something very meaningful from your country or your culture that you want us to take in account into this agreement? These are questions that could help to do a fair agreement, a middle point, to reach in, in a middle point. Also, in times of conflict, it's important trying to communicate in the language that they both know best. For an example, now I'm working with a couple where they're speaking French so she can learn the language faster. They're like very, very into that. But... The language that they both understand better is Spanish because he spent some years in, in America. So he's a better level of Spanish. So the rule with them is that when they are 
argue, they go and switch to Spanish to avoid misunderstandings because they speak better that language. Or for example, I have another example and this, this happens a lot. I have seen this more than once that both of them know the languages of the other one. This means they both know Spanish and they both know English. But when arguing, each one expresses their feelings in their own language, yeah, right? Because, yes. <laughs> so interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And and sometimes I do the sessions in Spanglish. I love that too. Like that will be so interesting to like witness. We start in English and it's like, no, I cannot say this in English. I need to say in Spanish and we switch. And we do that because wow. they feel they can express better their emotions and their feelings on their own language, right? So this is clue when it's possible to do. When they only know one language, imagine she or he speaks Spanish and he or she Chinese and the, the only language that they have as a common is English, well, arguing English. But yeah. when it's possible, try to do it in your own language or the language that you know better and understand better. Another strategy is remembering that when we talk about something, the goal is not to convince your couple of your reality or impose your reality or the other way. The goal is always to understand your perspective, to understand that you will feel different for sure and to seek a neutral agreement because this is a tendency and I raise my hand because I have done that several times <laughs> before being couple therapist I have been a couple and yeah um, I have seen myself trying to convince the other one and that doesn't work because no one likes to feel that they're imposing something right to also not convince understand and then seek a neutral agreement okay with the non-negotiables non and the flexible areas and yeah i think that's in general there because every couple needs different strategies based on their characteristics their needs their cultures where they live where they come from and my suggestion will be that each couple seeks for help with a professional that also they try to to search books, podcasts, places where they can learn new tools for more assertive communication. That that will be my suggestion. Thank you so much, Irene. How important. I love what you just said about confirming information and making direct questions because sometimes we can assume things. And, you know, I've also, you were saying like, I'm guilty. I've also seen it in that area. <laughs> I think a lot of people listening. <laughs> so... Yeah, I also love what you said about understanding your significant other's reality and seeking agreements that work for both. You know, there's also something that I wanted to ask you about, which is family expectations. I've witnessed that in many cultures, the family expects that the significant other of their children is, let's say, from the same nationality or religion as them. And if they aren't, the significant other can feel rejection from the family. So how can these couples handle family expectations that may differ due to cultural differences? Wow, this question could be like a whole podcast, another episode. <laughs> But well, yeah, this is a delicate matter. And the first thing to remember, I think, is that we cannot control the behavior and the, the beliefs of others. Some people and some family members are going to be more open to diversity and migration, while others may be less. 
There will be families that are very welcoming and interested in their son or daughter or relative's partner. And there will be others that will remain more neutral, cordial, and respectful. And yeah, unfortunately, huh, there will be some families that can, or friends that even feel rejection. And this, of course, is not ideal. This is a very frustrating situation for multicultural couples have this external obstacle and this external lack of support. It's already difficult to be with someone from another culture and when you don't have the support of your loved ones is, is difficult. And in this, I believe, Andrea, that what is in our control is to invite them to learn about our partner's culture, to share information so they maybe, yeah, like change their misconceptions, the stereotypes that maybe they can have to our partner's culture, right? To get to know in a more deep and profound on way the customs and traditions of our uh, couple and to be able maybe to integrate our families in our routine so they know that it's it's not as different as you think to get to know this human part and that that our partner is behind their if they're chinese japanese german canadian etc but yeah we need to remember that we can try all these things but we cannot and we should not force anyone that's the part we cannot control others decisions to and as i said it's a delicate matter and depending on the level of the family's resistance or uh, the friend's resistance sometimes what a couple needs to work is on setting your boundaries and as a couple to have an agreement on how we take care of each other's well-being Oh, how we take care of our relationship, how we create a safe agreement for us. And sometimes it's like, okay, I know it's your family and I cannot ask you to, to disconnect with them. So maybe you go with your family and we get separated on those moments that you need or you want to be with them. But there are some situations where the partner says, you know, if they don't respect my relationship and if they don't respect you, I feel they are unrespecting me. So there are even cases that I have seen that these broke's family relationships. It's very unfortunate. Of course, uh, that's the not an ideal situation, but yeah, sometimes it happens, right? So yeah, it's it's talking about the boundaries and how we keep safe from that. Thank you, Irene. I love that about protecting each other because at the end of the day, you're a team, right? So you want the best for the other. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. Yeah, I also like what you said about not forcing anyone in the relationship and yeah, taking care of each other's well-being. And you were talking about stereotypes. I think that stereotypes remain strong, even though, yeah, there's globalization, but people can see stereotypes very often on TV and media, and this can affect their perception of a certain country or culture, even more so if they haven't had the chance to visit those countries. So what role does cultural sensitivity play in maintaining a healthy relationship? It's essential. <laughs> Without that sensitivity, we won't be able to see our partner deeply in their essence as they are, who truly Uh, who they truly are, right? Because culture influences us, the way we feel, the way we think, how we relate, how we experience life. And in part, we are who we are because of our culture. So without that sensitivity, we miss many aspects of our partner, of who our partner is. 
right? We will relate with them in a superficial way <laughs> and not, not deeply. We will not understand who they are, their values, the, their perspective in life, their purpose of life. Thank you, Irene. Yeah, we were talking about that. Like We don't want superficial relationships. <laughs> Thank you very much. And just coming back to what I mentioned earlier, I think it's incredible how Cupid got us with people from the other side of the world. And given that we already spoke about the benefits challenges and opportunities. I'd like to ask, how can intercultural couples celebrate and integrate both cultures into their daily lives? Well, there are many ways. Sometimes it's more simple things than huge things, right? Like, for example, creating rituals and traditions that are part of our routine. For example, after COVID, when my grandparents died, I started doing my Altar de Muertos. <laughs> that is a Mexican tradition. And I not just like added that in my routine routine and make my partner part of it but I also invited him to also set the altar for his grandparents and his family was very happy to put the photos um, elements that rem remind them to their loved ones so it was very pretty to see them being part of, of something that made me feel connected with my grandparents after they died so it was a good way on like integrating him in my culture also for example celebrating important days and significant days for each person in their culture right through cooking, right? The fish and food, uh, gastronomy as yes. well. <laughs> a very daily thing, easy thing to do, but it's a way to integrate you and teach you about how I experience flavors and food, for example, right? There are a thousand ways, even what we read or the type of programs that, uh, that we watch, right? It's also a way to incorporate our partner in our culture. You don't have to do big things, right? That That's, that's what comes to my mind. Yeah, thank you. And I'm glad that I asked about like, into the daily lives because you know also kind of like to keep the the flame going sometimes we get caught up in our routines so having something like i don't know in a regular day and let, learn a little bit about your partner's culture and just kind of like you know make it special but it doesn't have to be this huge grandiose thing so thank you very much irene and uh yeah i love the rituals and traditions And I want to thank you for all the valuable information. I'd even say that it's empowering. And my therapist says that it's hard to deal with something if you don't know what it is or like how to identify it. So I think that this interview has been incredibly helpful to have more clarity, especially all that an intercultural relationship entails. So to wrap up, where can people find more of your work to learn more information about this topic? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for inviting me again. It was a pleasure. I'm feeling more comfort on like speaking in a pod English. I do it in my sessions, but like the fact of being, you know, like recording these, it, it, the first time I was very anxious, but I feel very comfortable. So thank you, Andrea, for making me also like work on my on my fears and insecurities. I got you. <laughs> It was empowering for me too. And yeah, what your therapist says is true. When we know how to name something, when when we understand it's a natural process of something, it makes a relief on us, right? It's part of the relief of healing the frustration. So yeah, I hope that everyone that hears this podcast gets something from this. And well, how you can learn more information or information about multicultural couples on my YouTube channel. We will add this podcast too. I have a playlist 
exists uh, for multicultural couples. Many of the videos for now are in Spanish. I have like two or three in English, but we are going to start adding more. <laughs> Thanks to Andrea. No, uh, you, <laughs> you also have now my book available in English since um, the end of last year, not from here nor from there. And there you have a huge chapter about this topic, about multicultural couples, intercultural couples, their challenges, their advantages, and some tools to deal with these differences. And I need to say that now I'm writing my second book that is totally focused on intercultural couples. When it's ready, for sure, I'm going to let you know, Andrea, and we can talk about it. And I'm very excited because I want to be more like a workbook with, with strategies, tools, questions, so couples can write the other part of the book that they wrote their own book, their own, not end because a relationship is something that doesn't have a happy ending. It has a happy road. We keep walking together on it through all the time that it's alive. So yeah, that's the idea. I'm very excited. And also you have my social media and accounts. I have free <laughs> Mentes en Equilibrio. Amar Sanamente y Psicología para el Corazón. In the last two, Amar Sanamente y Psicología para el Corazón, they are focused on couples and love relationships, conscious relationships, healthy relationships. And so, yeah, you can find more information there. And also, I created last year a workshop, an online workshop for couples called Learn to Live Together. It's in Spanish, but with English subtitles. The workbooks are available on English and Spanish. And it has many of the strategies that me and my colleague, Judy de la Serna, that we use with the couples we work. And the idea is that the couples learn all the strategies to communicate better, to be able to do better agreements, and to create their own culture and to connect emotionally. So, yeah you have that in our webpage psicologiaparelcorazon.com I'll include exactly. all the links in the episode description <laughs> yes so you can find it there and we hope to do something soon for intercultural couples but in this workshop you can find a lot of things because we focus on couples that move together that give this first step as many multicultural couples do So yeah, you have a lot of information there. Perfect. I will make sure to include everything on the episode description so people can go and learn more. And, you know, hopefully these strategies and like workshops make this their road even happier. I love what you said, that it's not a happy ending. It's a happy road. It's very, it's very true. So thank you. A million, Irene. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for providing all of this amazing information, but also providing examples and even like share a little bit about your personal experience. So thank you so much. I'm very happy. Oh, thank you, Andrea. It's a pleasure. Anytime you buy me, I will be here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Irene. If you like this episode and would like to learn more, just so you know, this Valentine's Day, you can treat your significant other and enjoy 20% off in the course Learning to Live Together, an online in-demand workshop for couples who have decided to move in together and how to navigate this step consciously. It's the perfect gift that will allow you to discover more about your relationship. In this workshop, Irene and her colleague Judith de la Serna design strategies and tools so couples can reflect and define whether you're walking towards the same direction, how your patterns and learnings are impacting your relationship, how to address daily habits and manage time together and alone, as well as how to nurture your relationship so you can enjoy it in the long term. 
The course is in Spanish but has English subtitles and also has workbooks in both English and Spanish. I will leave the affiliate link in the episode description so you can enjoy 20% off. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to support this show, you can share this episode with your friends, community, or with someone who may benefit from this conversation. You can also rate the show and leave a review and follow it on Instagram at project25.podcast. This is a one-woman show, so if you feel like donating as another way to support, you can go to paypal.me slash project25podcast. And finally, if you'd like to share your story or know someone who does, feel free to email me at andrea.project25 at gmail.com. You can also send me your comments and suggestions in case you want to see someone you like here. And that's all from me. Bye-bye!